Welcome back everyone to Forward Thinking. It's Christy and Charlie here. Hello. Today we have our guest, Jasenia Francisco. And Jasenia is the Marketing Technology Program Lead at Asana. And today she's going to talk us through kind of a un her unique experience. Um, Jasenia started her operations uh, career on the sales ops side and recently made the switch uh, to marketing operations. And I thought, you know, what a unique story. Um, you know, the operations worlds are so intertwined. You see revenue ops, and we've talked about that on past podcasts. And so I thought it'd be great to have her on to discuss uh, her whole career path, but also specifically the switch and the differences. So uh, welcome, Jasenia. So glad to be here. Excited to join you finally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I I love getting to know um, the our guests on podcast we both do and I um, so it'd be great to give us a little bit of background on yourself and your origin story and how you made it into this crazy world of operations. <laughs> yeah, happy to start there. So uh, I usually like to start just to give a disclaimer. I'm a former New Yorker, and that's how I apologize for my directness. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved to the Bay Area within the past five years. Um, and so really, I was just seeking a reprieve for the snow and then um, really just trying to find my way through the Bay Area within kind of the nonprofit and operation space. But I'll give you a little bit about kind of my lily path of a career in terms of how I got into the op space. Um, I really wanted to study forensic psychology when I was a little girl going into uh, college. Um, and at a moment of kind of weakness or, or trying to figure out what I wanted to study, I decided that finance was instead the route that I was going to take. So really, I, I think growing up, I've never really heard about a uh, background or kind of like a, a path to study like operations. Um, it was really kind of a, a shoestring of a couple of different uh, topics um, in school that kind of got me interested into technology, um, really uh, kind of set the foundation around my interests around finance. And then naturally, when I studied finance in the New York Tri-State area, the natural progression for me to uh, do was just to go into finance within an investment bank. So uh, I followed that kind of straight shot path. Um, and so uh, I found myself as a financial analyst at uh, Merrill Lynch, which was going through the merger with Bank of America at that time. Um, and really, it was just kind of a good foundation to my career. Um, and so it was my first exposure to software development. So uh, half of my job was focused on uh, making sure that we did FPNA work for the large business units. And then the other half was um, managing an in-house software where we captured uh, estimates and actuals for their three largest divisions. So exposing myself to, to that world, I was like, this is cool. We're mm -hmm. managing a software. Um, it, it had a super not cool name. It's called <laughs> Green Sheets. <laughs> um, and so uh, it was great because I was a partner to the business and I was a partner to the technology team to really reimagine and create 
um, business processes that were manual. So going from a spreadsheet to actually putting it into a system on a daily basis and then training people on how to effectively use it. Um, and so when I took, after three years there, when I took a look at what I was interested, first I was kind of disillusioned. It was a really hard time for the financial services industry when I got into finance. Um, and so I was a bit disillusioned with my career in finance mm. and decided I wanted to do a 180 and went into the nonprofit space. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so found myself wanting to hold on to kind of that um, business analysis, um, software development component and trying to find a place for that in the nonprofit space. So that's really kind of the shoestring that ties like me going from investment banking to nonprofit to tech is really holding on to that software development, like really the drive and the curiosity across the different industries about how do you make people efficient and how do you accelerate their strategy through software overall. Um, so yeah, so I found myself as a nonprofit uh, professional across different uh, causes, diversity and inclusion for Latinos and women. Um, I then moved on into education, venture philanthropy, uh, microfinance before I found my way to Asana. Wow, that's a great story. And then, so one thing that struck to me is that there you had a moment of weakness and you decided to study finance and get into finance and obviously that maybe wasn't the right fit for you what were what was like the pressure that made you do that was there any pressure from um like family or was it just you know you're in new york you see a lot of people having these thriving careers in finance and you thought this is your safe bet and um in getting into the you know a good career what, what was that pressure a couple of those components. So um, I'm first generation. So my parents both immigrated here. And so my father was terrified a little bit at the prospect of me becoming a forensic psychologist. He's like, D aren't those, aren't criminals dangerous? <laughs> 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 Why would you want to put yourself in danger? Uh, and I was like, well, that, that might be true, but I'm just, you know, talking to them. Um, and so uh, it was a bit of that. And then also taking a look at the prospects of like what, especially like going through college and figuring out like what is actually going to earn money. I think it was a, a bit of the family pressure and the, okay, how am I going to be a functioning adult after I mm -hmm. pick something? Yeah. And it just felt very tangible to pick finance um, as opposed to being feeling a little bit like unpredictable if I did choose a career in um, forensic psychology, even though the university I went to was very well known for their criminology degree. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think some of, I, I can feel that similar experience just growing up. I'm, my mom was an immigrant and she didn't really have the chance to go to college. And so when you, I have, I had all these plans of maybe becoming a teacher or then I said, I want to do like food marketing and being in the Bay area, you graduate college and you're like, what am I going to do next? And, and you see everyone going into tech and I did make my way there. And luckily now I get to teach people things and, you know, you get some parallels of maybe what you wanted to do in your current role. And, and I think we'll touch on that in a sec in a bit with your um, forensic psychology, but so you made your way into the nonprofit world and probably feeling a bit more fulfilled because you're helping a good cause. But 
Did you have exposure to the technology side there? And how did you make that jump then from New York back to, uh, or here to California? Yeah, so um, I did have some exposure. I mean, when I was at uh, Merrill Lynch Bank of America, um, I kind of understood the construct of a database. I mean, it's, it's a really simple uh, yeah. just architecture. And if you understand the relationship between things, most softwares are built the same way. So like Salesforce is interchangeable with HubSpot and all the different mm -hmm. CRMs. And so if you understand some of the basic principles, um, it's something that was able to kind of, um, I could bring with me throughout my career, kind of understanding that and then being able to build or imagine with kind of a technology partner or like a solution architect that could help mm -hmm. me. Um, so I made my way to San Francisco, um, really on a whim. Uh, I, after I had left Bank of America, I joined a nonprofit, um, focused on Latino professionals across mm -hmm. the business industries and found it really, really fulfilling. And then had kind of a leadership transition and found myself again, kind of disillusioned, like, what do I do from here? Um, and so I started to apply to like leadership development programs. And there was a leadership development program that had a pairing system where they would pair you with a nonprofit or um, yeah, a nonprofit or a social impact business in DC and San Francisco. And at that point I had taken a little bit of a break uh, from working and a nonprofit in San Francisco called me. <laughs> And I was like, you're crazy. I'm not moving across country when I'm unemployed. <laughs> and they're like, it sounds like you need relocation assistance. You know, and every step, uh, like every hurdle or every roadblock that I put up um, around moving across country, I had never been to California prior to that. So I moved oh, wow. to California, like sight unseen. Oh, wow. Um, I was like, I know it's beautiful there. So they say. <laughs> Well, I'll figure it out. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so they, that person just made it really, really hard for me to say no. And literally I found myself, like I had a scheduled meeting with that individual and it was for like the final, like, are you going to move? Are you going to take this job? And I was like coming up with like my pitch on like how I was not moving across country. And I was like, she's going to poke holes in all of this. And I just ended up saying yes. <laughs> and, and that's what brought me here and uh, moved here, knew one person in San Francisco and um, really kind of pulled a community and a life together here. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about that program and where was that jump then from there? How did that open up some opportunities for you in the tech world in San Francisco? Yeah, so um, it was a program. Uh, it was a well, it still exists. It's called Pro Inspire. Um, it was they had a kind of a nonprofit leadership development program. And so it was a year long program where um, every month we had specifically like targeted leadership development um, sessions that we needed to do. And it was done in a cohort fashion. And actually, they're probably some of the closest people that I have. Uh, to me, we meet at least two to three times a year still, even though it was five years ago. Uh, and uh, it was it was really interesting because we supported each other and went through this transition where all of them were either in different cities across the United States and moving back 
to the Bay Area or um, taking a plunge into the nonprofit space. And so it was really a, a kind of an emotional and tumultuous time for each of us where we bonded through that in addition to learning really relevant skills um, like managing up, you know, being able to put together a strategy, understanding where your strengths and your weaknesses are and how to use that to your advantage. Um, and so through that program, just really found my network here where uh, a lot of them or at least a percentage of them have moved into the tech space or different industries overall. So we all, after kind of being in the nonprofit space and going through this emotional time, really just kind of found our calling in different places, whether that be tech or education or the government. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how, can you tell me a bit more about kind of how you then took all of that learning and then applied it to your career and operations? Because we talk a lot about this, a lot of people and who end up in what we do, they might come from kind of a technical background. They might be maybe a bit introverted. They don't have some of those soft skills, like you mentioned, like managing up and being able to communicate. And some it, sometimes it can be a bit of a, you know, something holding them back, kind of developing through the operations career for some people. Um, but it sounds like you had this amazing experience which was able to set you up so perfectly well to go in mm -hmm. and thrive in that type of role and really elevate yourself in that type of position. Yeah, what I would say is curiosity. I think curiosity is so underrated. And honestly, uh, uh, as we go through hiring, I honestly look for curiosity in conversation. Just your ability to not know, not be a subject matter expert, and then become that such a subject matter mm -hmm. expert, really because I find that that's something that has grounded me in all of my pivots. And, uh, and it's really, really helpful. So yeah, curiosity is definitely something I think that is really helpful in the operation space, mainly because you're, you're, you're a fixer. You have to find the things that are broken. And if you're not curious about it, if you ignore it or you don't see that it's a problem, like from a people perspective, you're, you're going to lose sight of that. You're going to lose sight of the bigger picture. So I think definitely curiosity is something that um, has helped me. Um, the people skills, um, I'm really... I don't want to say like I'm really good at something, but uh, I think that I'm really in tune with empathy. Um, and I know we were joking about um, uh, forensic psychology, um, but I think it comes from that, like the curiosity in terms of people and just observing them on how things land, especially within um, the Bay Area within the Bay Area in terms of just really understanding how people feel, they keep that really guarded as opposed to New York where everyone will tell you like just word vomit <laughs> how they feel. <laughs> um, and so it's been really helpful for me to just get a sense of a room and say, okay, let's call a spade a spade. And you <laughs> see that like sigh of relief. <sighs> okay, yes, we're speaking the truth. We don't have to sugarcoat it. You know, it didn't work that's fine. It's an experiment. Let's move on and take our learnings from there. So I think that um, that's been really helpful, the people management piece um, and, and really um, kind of accelerating some of the conversations that are normally blocked overall. So those are the ones that I could think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to dive in a little bit more on the curiosity piece, because obviously you mentioned you're hiring right now. Um, mm -hmm. And so when you're interviewing people, how do you how do you kind of like understand their level of curiosity? Do you have any good questions that you ask? 
or is it just something that maybe kind of intuitively you kind of pick up on based on answers to all of their questions? Yeah, I would probably say not not to give the secrets okay. <laughs> of, of our interviewing, but I, I think that it's something that comes out naturally in terms of uh, a lot of the times um, we put together um, kind of like panels on like, show me a case study. Um, and I think it naturally comes out like how they found the problem. Did someone tell them that that was a problem or did mm -hmm. they find the problem specifically, right? Um, I think that especially when you talk about building a relationship, right? A, a lot of the works and a lot of the work in the operations space is based upon the relationships that you have with stakeholders. There's a personal and there's a professional curiosity, and like we talk about, how do you build trust, right? Um, and sometimes there are people who think that you know you can like engineer a relationship, and quite honestly, like if you don't have curiosity, like what are you doing today? What's the weather on your, you know, side of this earth, right? Um, you're never going to get to true trust. And so I tend to ask questions about not what your process is, but like, where's your curiosity peaking in terms of finding problems and how do you build trust or how do you build relationships based on that curiosity? So then at Asana that when you started, did you start in finance or did you start in sales operations and then, um, and then move into marketing operations. Can you tell us, tell us through your journey there? Yeah, so I started in sales operations. So I was um, one of the first technology hires on the operations, uh, in the operations, um, the sales operations space. Um, so really uh, kind of, uh, as soon as I stepped foot, they're like, here's all of our tech stack fix it. <laughs> um, and it was really because I was familiar with Salesforce. So at a couple of nonprofits, I had actually implemented Salesforce a couple of times in addition to like marketing automation tools. Um, and so there was a lot of transferable skills between pivoting from the nonprofit space, at least with my experience into sales operations where they were uh, as on as a Salesforce heavy uh, shop and so being able to see that, and then I've also, in the nonprofit space, built a tech stack around Salesforce, around efficiency, specifically around like tracking of emails, um, automation of other aspects of the day-to-day -day for, for a fundraising professional. Mm -hmm. And so dipping into Asana, they were like, great, now you need to do that times three. And so uh, worked with all of the sales team to kind of manage and uh, make sense of their tech stack especially as a growing um, startup that they were at that time. What was like the biggest difference at first when you, I, I assume going from a nonprofit uh, to a company like Asana, you know, maybe the stakes are higher. You're feeling a little bit more of like a, a cultural shift because the, the goals are different, right? For, for a venture backed startup, it's all about, you know, how do we, how do we meet our goals? How do we produce revenue? Um, mm -hmm. And how do we make our uh, investors happy? Where for a nonprofit, there's, there's different goals there. You, you know, it's more like, how can mm -hmm. we drive more donations? How can we um, get these grants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, did you feel that change? I guess you probably um, were used to it from some of your background in the finance, but did you actually feel like a cultural change? What was that big difference you felt when you made that switch? Yeah, what I would probably say is the speed in which things moved from the nonprofit space. I felt we were like 
glacial it was a turtle pace and then we went to like (laughs) rabbit Mm -hmm. pace um definitely that was a a big shock from like a culture perspective um I would also say the jargon a lot of the terminology was new to me in terms of just being in the tech space and I found myself often like saying "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yes I got that and then like trying to figure out what (laughs) what terminology they were using and it was just different terminology it's not that like the concepts were foreign to me um, but just being able to talk the talk um, eventually I realized that people didn't think of me as the nonprofit person if I could use essentially uh, I'm going to crack it because it's a sales technique like the mirroring and being able to use vocabulary that they were acquainted with that -hmm. they would see me as like the advisor the partner to them and so very early on it was really trying to up my vocabulary when it came to uh, working with the sales and operations and technology stakeholders Um, and then um making sure that I was at the same speed. The other thing that was, it wasn't necessarily new to me, but something that I was coming back to, um, you know, back in finance, I was at a, in a, at a global firm, but in a nonprofit, I was not, I didn't have to often deal with different time zones. Mm-hmm. So coming into Asana where we had offices in different countries, it was, I get, I would get the Yelp call from all parts of the world. Um, and that was, that was a little bit hard, especially being kind of the solo, um, like tech ops person, um, within sales ops. So then how long were you in sales ops before you made the switch to marketing ops and what was the catalyst for that switch? Yeah. So I was in sales ops for a year before I transitioned into marketing. Um, So when I was in sales ops, I was um, assigned a lot of uh, projects working directly with marketing. And what I found myself was just going back to that curiosity, curious about how do we get to these leads a little bit earlier in their journey, right? Um, We were standing up demand gen at that time. And so Um, specifically, I wanted to fix the problems that were at the top of the funnel (laughs) Um, instead of by the time that they got to sales. And, you know, of course, it's that old story where sales is disillusioned with the the leads that are in front of them. And so uh, I found myself more and more curious about fixing those problems as opposed to fixing the problems in sales and really just recognize that within myself and, and kind of made that jump over to the marketing operations team. Did you have like, how did you make that switch? Like, did you find like an internal champion that could help you do that? Um, Was there someone that you worked with heavily on the marketing side that said, hey, it looks like you're really good understanding this marketing ops thing. Like maybe you should do the switch. Um, It sounds like you're, you know, great at understanding people, but was it actually finding an internal champion to help you make that switch or was there just an opening and then you decided to, hey, might as well apply for it? It was a couple of those different components. So um, Asana is really great, not just because I work there, but (laughs) in terms of just exposure to different startups, in addition to like just my past experience within investment banking and the nonprofit space, like internal transfers are a really hard thing for Mm -hmm. companies to manage. 
And at Asana, it's fairly easy. It's done in transparency. So there was an open role um, because I was in sales ops working specifically with the marketing team. I already knew those champions and through the work that they had seen me do on the sales operation side, they're like, yeah, I'll take you (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) They're like, we'll have you. And, um, and then I I think it was a bit of a synergy for me where I had buy-in from the marketing stakeholders because I was working closely with them in addition to internal champions, both on the sales operation side, as well as on the marketing side. So um, I'm part of uh, Asana Women, which is our women ERG. And so I just had access to kind of executive sponsors within the marketing side that kind of made all of this really stick for me and made, you know, my requests come true. So how would you rate working in marketing ops versus sales ops? And I think one of the things that we talk about a lot, and you mentioned it about empathy, mm-hmm. I think there there needs to be an empathy between those two teams, right? And they need to have like really strong alignment. They need to kind of really understand what they're going through because sometimes, you know, one team might have to say, no, sorry, I can't do that now for you, marketing ops or vice versa. And you have to understand why they can't do it. Maybe they're implementing CPQ and it's a big project they're trying to get done or something and they can't really help marketing ops now. And and I think without the experience of working in both roles, it's maybe a bit harder to have that empathy. You're always just like, oh, they're seen as the no team or there's a bit of conflict or it's just a bit harder to get things done. But then with your background, you you understand both of these teams have, from having been inside them and working within them. It must bring a lot of value and kind of smooth things out between you and the sales ops team at Asana and really have, builds that empathy and trust between the teams. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what I would say is that a lot of it is around relationships and understanding personality, um, especially for the time that I was there where um probably a a couple, like a handful of individuals were working as AEs and then have moved into being sales managers. Um, And so just understanding the quirks and understanding what works and what doesn't work. I'm I'm pretty much a, a great resource for like our marketing ops team to understand like who should you be talking to, how you should be presenting that information. And so typically I, I, if they're frustrated, I'll go to them and give them like, here's how you should rethink about approaching that again. I think also from like a sales perspective, there's a lot of things that you don't see, even though we're really, really close in terms of goals overall and just working together, just understanding from just like a workflow perspective. Um, and, And this happens a lot when we build out technology components and like enhancements overall, where sometimes we forget about the end user. And I was like, have you spoken to that sales user? Cause you're like re-engineering their entire workflow. And if it takes more than five clicks, they're probably going to hate you and you're going to have to do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So just bringing that empathy back into the conversation and saying like, great, we have a great idea about how we want to measure things, but let's think about what the impact is both to, you know, going upstream and then going downstream to that end user and making sure that that's at the forefront of the things that we work on from a technology perspective, but also the way that we approach um, our stakeholders in sales as well. So are you able to talk about how kind of like your, your teams are managed? So like you're the marketing technology lead, like are you part of marketing ops or just marketing in general? Like is there kind of a revenue ops umbrella that goes across, you know, the technologies and ops teams? 
Yeah. So we do have, um, so we have our sales and marketing teams that are separate. And then we have ops teams for each of the business units. Um, so our revenue, uh, sorry, our marketing ops team is under revenue marketing, which is separate. So it's on the marketing team overall. Um, but we work very closely with our sales counterparts day to day. In terms of how sales operations is split, we have a marketing technology pillar and then a campaign operations pillar. So I lead the marketing technology pillar. Mm-hmm. So then, so then, in terms of the, the going back to my other question around the differences between your sales ops life and then the marketing technology life, mm-hmm. how would you rate the two? Do you think you'll ever go back to sales ops? Do you think you're now in marketing ops? Would you like to run both teams one day as revenue ops? Yeah, I mean, I would probably say I enjoy them equally. I think that both of them are interesting in different ways. I think that. Um, just in in terms of my experience within Asana, it was a little bit of an overwhelming experience in a good way. Uh, And I think that uh, a lot of the work that I'm doing in marketing is very focused around like specific things. So I think that just to answer your question overall, like what would I, would I want to go back to sales ops? Would I want to lead both of them? I think that there's a possibility for any of those. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I'm really excited about building kind of a, a tech roadmap for uh, an ops, uh, for, for kind of like a marketing or a sales team in an ops capacity. And if there were an opportunity to do sales, marketing, and or a revenue ops role, I would be happy to do it because I have kind of both ends of that experience. Yeah, so it sounds like we ask a lot of our guests like what their opinion of revenue operations is because I think uh, Mm -hmm. it's a new thing, new concept, and uh, there could be a lot of reasons maybe to still keep those groups separate, but a lot of people want to jump on the bandwagon. Do you mm-hmm. see, what's your opinion so far? Um, just not having have been on a revenue ops team, but maybe from talking with some of your peers or f- from the benefits that you see might be there. Do you think there is a benefit to having a one team, um, a revenue ops team? Yeah, what I would say is uh, often what I find is that uh, revenue ops is kind of thrown out there. So people use it in different ways. I think uh, when we think about revenue ops as being like a consolidated ops groups, um, it, it solves some of the issues that sometimes we see around like different agendas between the ops team mm-hmm. and like whose agenda wins, right? You never want to feel like there's an agenda that's winning. Um, I think that when you have them unified under one umbrella, it means that there's no agenda. We have our agenda. And I think that there's some value depending on the organization and just the way that their business is structured. Um, that there is value to have like a unified ops team and just making sure that those ops teams are optimized to serve the revenue kind of structure. So um, does it make sense? Yes. Um, we ju- Right now we just don't have that structure at Asana and I think we work fine. It's more about like, how do you partner with the other yeah. ops team to know what's happening and make sure that you compromise or you collaborate when there is overlap on agenda. And, and that's 
that's a, a work in progress for us in itself. Like we're, right. we're finding where sometimes we ask for the same thing in different ways and we're still trying to optimize what that looks like for us. But overall, the harmony that we have is that we're all ops team and we need to figure out a way to compromise and collaborate just to get our agendas to move forward. Totally. Yeah. We've talked about that on this podcast before how, yeah, you could have, you know, all of the teams consolidated into a revenue ops team hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Great. But, you know, you can get a lot of the benefit from just that mindset shift where you think about yourself as one team and you are like trying to understand everyone's agenda and prioritize across the teams and have that strong alignment. So you don't have to just like completely re-engineer your your team hierarchies to get to revenue ops. You can kind of still have a revenue ops mentality. There was a great quote that a great quote that was said by one of our board members at one of our kickoffs um, that really resonated with me. And it was at, at a point that we were at a like a pivotal growth point in Asana. Um, and this person said that um, the competition is outside of the doors of Asana, not within the doors of Asana. So when you think about being competitive, think about being competitive against like Asana's competitors. But inside, you want to make sure that you are all on the same page and that you're all driving growth and that you don't think that it's kind of like an ego or a competition internally. And so that's some that quote just I constantly remind myself of that because um we don't want to be in a place where we're competing with each other as departments and that's not the culture that we want to um have that's yeah. totally do you have any tips for any anyone who maybe works in a company where the ops teams do have some conflict and to try and kind of bring harmony between the teams do you have any anything that's worked well at asana for you yeah i think um and and i go back to this because uh while I was in sales ops, we, I got a uh, sales training. So we, we had um, a lot of the kind of tips and tricks and models that our sales team um, go through in terms of listening. We were able to listen in and kind of um, adapt them for our day to day. So I think listening is really important, right? And identifying the problem. And, and sometimes it's listening to your, your biggest um your biggest complainer, your biggest, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, person that's at the opposition and just really hearing them out and making them an ally. I, I think that that's really important. Um, and being able to be able to at least have them as a stakeholder and say like, although, you know, we might compete for resources, like I want to make sure that I understand what's your business case and what your impact is and how can we work together? Um, and I think that it, it, it's silly to be at an organization where you have people who you don't collaborate with just because, you know, they might've said something about your team or <laughs> like that just doesn't work. It, it creates more friction and the goals that you're trying to accomplish overall. And I think just listening, having some empathy and trying to find some compromise out of that, regardless of how you feel and maybe putting those feelings aside and saying like, I want to help out a coworker or I want to help out a different department for the best of this organization is, is a change in mindset overall. Yeah. So I just want to switch gears. Um, so, uh, Josina, you and I actually met through women in revenue, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a nonprofit that um, I co-founded. And, but I, 
you mentioned it already, but you also co-lead um, Asana Women. Uh, mm-hmm. So what, you know, what inspired you to get involved in, um, in an, uh, with a mission to support women, especially at Asana and, you, you know, Asana supports remote workers. And so, you know, with companies right now, or maybe it's a bit challenging to, you know, have any groups working together, especially on a core mission. What have you been doing with Asana Women um, since being all remote? Yeah, um, what we, well, uh, with Asana Women, and just to answer the first question, um, I'm really energized by um, women communities, women-led communities. I feel that, you know, just in my work experience, I've experienced like women who have been catalyzed, like catalysts in my career and pushing me to do the things that I didn't think I could do. And then I've also experienced women who have not been a kind of a positive influence. And I've always wanted to be that woman who's a catalyst. Like you don't realize how small it is to say, like you can do this work. Like I believe in you, therefore you should you should believe in yourself. How that small like two sentences can really impact a woman and being able to see them progress and move past a challenge. And so um, a lot of the times, especially like as I've gone through my transition, I've just found these communities with women just really inspiring. And so um, I try my best to be at the forefront of trying to volunteer and help them or help leading some of um, the programs that they put together. So it was natural for, for me when I came into Asana and see the group to kind of gravitate to that um, and then be able to lead it eventually. Um, to answer and I mean, your with your, and with your background, right, you're like the perfect person to do that at Asana with your nonprofit background. I think you mentioned you were part of nonprofits, which were trying to, you know, advance women and help women as well. So you must've been able to draw on all of that experience in that. Yeah. And pretty early on, and I don't think I mentioned it pretty early on in my career, I had also served on several boards. So I had served on probably like three, three boards um, by the time I had, uh, yeah, when I was in the nonprofit space and also in the finance space. And so I had a lot of volunteer management and being able to, which is really hard and we don't talk about it enough about how do you inspire people to do work when you're not paying them, when you're pulling (laughs) at their heartstrings. So bringing that experience to Asana, I think was really helpful, um, especially as we talked about, like just being able to put together committees and work with them to kind of see some of the work within the Asana women kind of community uh, come into fruition. But to answer your direct question around um, what have we been doing, um, we've put together a lot of fireside chats. So um, especially since we've gone to uh, working from home and working remote, um, we had to do virtual onboarding. That is really hard for people. So we've participated in uh, onboarding sessions where we showcase not only Asana women, but the other ERGs. Um, And that's really a key point where someone has an interaction with Asana women face-to-face and has some uh, time to talk about like, what do we do, who they should know, uh, and kind of get the insider scoop. Um, So we've been doing a bit of that. Um, We also have been doing fireside chats. So there's so many amazing women at Asana and they don't often get a lot of FaceTime with other women. So what we've been doing is um, 
uh, just picking out women within Asana um, who have really interesting stories and just talking about a blend of their professional and their per- like their personal lives. Um, and so we had someone who was uh, who is a voice actor, a voice actress. And she talked about how do you bring creativity and playfulness into your professional career? And so that was a fireside chat that we hosted. So we host them as lunches. And that's been a great place where a lot of people have been curious about just how do I bring, now, now that I can't leave my home, how do I bring the personal and professional aspects and just merge them? So we've been doing those fireside chats and then professional development, which I think is super important. Um, so we're actually hosting one today, um, but we've done three sessions around networking, online presence, and then the power of storytelling as well. Yeah, one thing that kind of came to mind as you were talking about rallying volunteers who obviously aren't getting paid around, you know, doing stuff. That must be really great experience for them that you can then leverage when you're trying to rally people who are getting paid, right? Because if you can rally people who aren't getting paid around a mission, it must be easy to rally people who are getting paid around a mission as well. So it's, yes. there's a lot of I, what I'm what I'm kind of seeing from you is like you've got all of these kind of experiences even down to the forensic psychology, you know, passion and when you were younger, that just kind of all blends together that can just help you in, in your daily job. Yeah. I, I One thing that comes to mind, I was just listening to a podcast and it, they were talking about this woman who they were having a hard time with the company. And so they created this new role called a change agent. So they take like maybe their top seller and have them go into the field and meet with everyone and inspire them and mm-hmm. understand what they're doing. And help them to do their job better. And I I think a lot of the times how operations could really use just a change agent at times, especially when you get into this deep kind of dysfunction where maybe teams aren't aligned. And um, But even outside of that, just having some of those characteristics and thinking of yourself as a change agent, especially at a startup um, where everyone's maybe feeling a bit burnout or there might be other things there, but, and I see a lot of that in you, you know, rallying people, inspiring people and really trying to make a change and, um, marketing definitely needs that at times. And so it, it, it makes sense that maybe, you know, you, that that team would really be drawn to you and you'd see success doing that. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm a little bit of a change management nerd, uh, (laughs) where I, like I love all the different models and I've actually done um, like workshops in regards to the different change management models. But I love that because we're in a world where we have to adapt um, and that is not the easiest process for someone to adapt to change. Some people just completely shut down and I find myself as someone that wants to guide them. I often talk about myself as being a partner. Like I'm not the one telling you what to do. I'm the one advising you. And and again, it's changing of that mindset. And it's a little bit, as you mentioned, some of the psychology background where I I don't want to think about it as mind games, but it's how to effectively change someone's mindset so that they can see the change, specifically in my case, the technology that I'm putting Mm -hmm. in front of them. Yeah. I mean, it's important because if you, you know, the, all of the different aspects of, of operations, you know, the people, the technology, the data, like if you, if you can, if you're you might be able to implement a tool or create this amazing process or whatever, but if the people aren't going to do change or if they're not going to 
you know, work within your processes or do the right thing, then you, your beautiful tech stack isn't going to work, right? There's still, a, there's still a human component. Maybe in 100 years, AI is going to run the whole thing and there's not going to be humans anymore. But now there's still <laughs> humans need to be involved. So you've got to think about how to rally those humans around what you're doing. Yeah. And then also people adapt to change in different ways at different times. I usually call it like the light bulb switching, right? Like <laughs> your light, someone's light bulb is going to switch right away. And others, you know, we have to turn on the light bulb, you know, a little bit slower. And it's like a demo switch. It make it exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I, I find that very often. And again, I think um, I love change management models and taking a look at them and figuring out ways on how I can use either like small abbreviated portions and any like initiatives that I'm doing myself. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to dive into the change management world, like where they can go for more resources or? Yeah, well, I would say, I think that there's about, if I'm not mistaken, 12 different change management models. Um I think there's a website that I usually like. I think it's called like Mind, Mind Tips, Mind Quiz, or Mind, Mind Tools, it might be. Mind to oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that actually, yeah. Mind Tools is a great resource when it comes to like professional development overall. They have a bunch of those change management models um, where you can kind of take a look at them and kind of get an understanding of like, at least for me, I do a lot of reflecting to figure out like, where where have people used those type of tools and also or those those type of models and um, where I could have used those models to help guide me through some challenging moments as well. So I think about like, for example, when there's leadership transitions or uh, people leave the company, right? There's usually the the five stages of grief, which is like a change management model <laughs> itself, just figuring that out and then figuring out how to implement those models yourself. Um, it's not perfect because those models are just a guideline in terms of um, how to guide people and institutions through change, but it isn't a complete tool set, right? There's comms plans, right? There's, um, you know, effective speaking. And so I want people to think about those models as like a kind of a roadmap, but there's other tools that, ha that help you get to the end of that roadmap. Totally. Cool. Well, I think you wanted to do some lightning questions just to yeah, just to it. just to end it, um, just for fun. It, I think um, it's been a great conversation, and I like ending with um, kind of getting to know you. So, want to go through uh, just some quick lightning round uh, questions to end it. So, um, the first one I'll start with, which is not related to marketing ops, but coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee, good one. New York or California? I'm in California right now. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes I miss New York. New York pizza or Golden Boy North Beach pizza? <laughs> oh, I don't like pizza. No, I oh, no. <laughs> It's terrible. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. Well, wait, wait. It keeps you light on your toes. Golden Boy can set you back a day probably eating that <laughs> I know everyone in New York when I tell them I don't like pizza they're like but you're a native New Yorker <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite market automation platform mm, that's a hard one um I would probably say 
uh, in terms of my experience, I really liked Act On. I know it's Act a little on, bit absolutely. of a underdog, um, yeah. but it was easy to implement and actually got the job done. Mm-hmm. Growth marketing or demand gen? Mm. As in the term? Yeah. Or just the term? Okay. The term? Yeah, because uh. it's now you see it's so interchangeable and yeah marketing can maybe encapsulate maybe actually what demand gen should be doing, which is kind of acquiring and then uh, focus on I'm revenue. Gonna, but I'm going to stick with demand gen. I think growth marketing for me has a different connotation and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going yeah. back to the revenue marketing, the revenue uh, operations and how people use that um, mm-hmm. too loosely. Okay. And final question, which we might know the answer just based on where you are, but sales ops or marketing ops? Um, hmm. I will say I'm currently in marketing ops and really enjoying <laughs> my experience there, but you never know. <laughs> and last question, where, do, where can you buy the floating bookshelf? <laughs> No, I think I got it from Overstock, but this this has definitely been a hot topic. So yeah. highly recommended uh, floating bookcase, uh, ways to keep your uh, coworkers engaged in your uh, Zoom calls. <laughs> totally, yeah. Have yeah. you read all of those books or do you start from the bottom and kind of work your way up? I've probably read about 75% of those wow. books. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining Jasenia. Um, for everyone who's interested in following Jasenia on LinkedIn, it's Jasenia Francisco. Um, and we'll link uh, to her profile. And um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It was great uh, learning from you and just hearing about your background. And, you know, maybe we'll have you on again to talk about something more technical that you can walk us through but it was great to learn about your journey I bet it's inspiring for maybe some folks who might be thinking about making that leap as well yeah thank you so much for having me it was really a pleasure awesome all right we'll see everyone on the next episode of forward thinking this is charlie so if you liked what you heard hit like on the platform where you watch this Also, leave a review. Honestly, we would really, really appreciate it. You can also subscribe where you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even YouTube. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, which is packed full of exclusive content, updates for events or courses that we might be doing, all designed to elevate your marketing operations and B2B strategy. See you next time on Forward and Forward is Off.